Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Suzanne Falter with us, first-time guest, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her story. After losing her daughter, Teal, back in 2012, Suzanne discovered the healing power of self-care. She now hosts the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast and is the author of a number of self-help titles, including the Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Her essays have appeared in Self, More, Fitness, New Women, and the New York Times, as well as O. Suzanne, welcome to the program. Hello, George. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, My pleasure. And I'm going to ask you about this 2012 event, if it's not too painful for you. Oh, no. I I love talking about it. It is the basis of what has happened to you, isn't it? (laughs) Pretty much the pivotal experience of my life, I'd say. What happened, for crying out loud? Okay. So, in 2012, I was a very hard-driving, workaholic, money-oriented person who was just working my fingers to the bone, trying to be something. And I had moved to San Francisco and changed my life dramatically. Mm -hmm. And my daughter came along for the ride. She had been a blues singer who had recently decided her life was really supposed to be spent as a healer. So she picked up and left her music career and said, I'm coming along for the ride. She was 22 years old. Actually, I guess at the time she was, yeah, no, she was about 22. Okay. And um, she's hung out for a year and, you know, sort of dabbled here and there. Now, Teal was dramatically the opposite of me. For every little bit of me that was a, a driven workaholic, she was interested in, as she put it, just being. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she wanted it the easy way, huh? She wanted it the easy way. She didn't need a lot of money. She was very good at landing on her feet. She would make a little money as a waitress. And then she'd get on an airplane. At first, she'd go to the airport, look at the list of departures, and just choose one and go. (laughs) Wherever it may take her. Exactly. She'd take her guitar and her backpack, and off she went. Well, uh, on this particular night in, um, in August of 2012, she had called me the day before and said, Mom, I think I'm going to have a really big seizure. Now, Teal had epilepsy. But her epilepsy was very well controlled, and she was religious about taking her meds. Was she born with it? No. She developed, it, she developed something called juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. Would that she hit her head or something? No. No. It, it just kind of, they, huh. there had been a lot of looking into where this came from, and nobody could ever say, which was all a strange part of this story, because basically uh, she thought she might be having, about to have a big seizure, so she called me. And I said, well, let's go to the neurologist. I'll take you right over there. No, no, Mom, I don't want to go. She said, I feel the meds I'm taking make me closer to God. And if I go to the neurologist, he'll tell me to change my meds. Okay. So Teal had been getting visions for the whole previous year. She had had a vision where she was going to be, quote-unquote, taken into the light. And when she did, she would see it as an opening to freedom. She, she felt something big was going to happen that was going to give her her healing gift, at least that's how she put it. And, you know, I was hearing all of this, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's fine. Not, oh, isn't that interesting? Okay, great, dear. You know, I was, very, exactly. <laughs> I was very self-involved, so I was very dismissive. She had uh, even been receiving little messages 
in her meditations and asked me what to do with them. And I said, well, put them all in a notebook. You know, that sounds good. Okay. So when she wouldn't go to the doctor the day before, I kind of said, well, I, I, I found myself asking the weirdest question, George. I said, so what does this have to do with your life purpose, Teal? And she said, oh, well, I'm supposed to be healing women and girls with panic and anxiety. That's what this Hmm. is about. Oh, I'm sure that's why I'm having these feelings. Okay. So the next night, I meet her for dinner in a restaurant. She's acting a little weird. Now... My God, like Spacey and all of it? exactly. She's not acting too strange, but just a little strange. Acting a little uh, more interested in food than conversation. Very unlike her. Mm Mm-hmm. She was uh, being. She was a late. She was an hour late. She wasn't usually late for things. What I hadn't realized is she'd just been to see the guy that she played music with, and she had kind of drifted out of the middle of their conversation. But just before she walked out the door, she sat down at the piano and she sang the last verse of the song "Wagon Wheel," which has the lyrics, "If I die in Raleigh, at least I will die free." Wow. And then she just got up and walked out the door, and she came to dinner an hour late. What was that all about? Well, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. She comes to dinner. I send her home with a friend because they're going by her house. I am embarrassed to say and ashamed to say that I was not self-possessed enough to look at her and go, I need to take this kid to the hospital. You didn't but, notice that? Well, or you did, and I didn't noticed, do but I didn't get it. I was, I was like, were, were I you in I denial? Person, I was in denial for sure. Yeah, that was definitely one of my issues at that time. I was not awake, not awake. So two hours later, little before midnight, I get this call, and it's from San Francisco General Hospital saying your daughter's in critical condition. She's had a massive cardiac arrest. Oh my God! At twenty-two years old. Twenty-two years old, and so. I rushed over there. I told them about her epilepsy. It's a very, very, very rare thing. But, but there are people with this malady who can suddenly drop dead. It's a very misunderstood, un, uh, unknown thing called sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. And that's what happened to her. Although... It's hard to say because I'll tell you, the medical examiner had her records for two years before they would release them because they simply couldn't say what had happened to her. Otherwise, perfectly healthy, didn't drink, didn't smoke, no drug use, nothing, except for her meds for her seizures. So anyway, what happened, which was really wild, was that she had two cardiac arrests both times they brought her heart back, so her heart was still beating. She was still technically alive, but she was on life support. For six days, she was in a coma, and she stayed on life support. And during that time, um, she was never conscious, but I began to hear from her in her ethereal form. Two nights after this began, by then my former husband and her brother, Luke, came out and joined us, um, or joined me, well, us, I guess. She was in the hospital, and we were all in a little hotel nearby or in her hospital room. And I woke up in the middle of the night, uh, two nights into this thing, and I felt this very buzzy, effervescent energy around me. And 
I said, Teal? I just had this feeling it was her. Now, she was technically still alive in the hospital? She was. She was At least we thought alive. she was, right? She, she was on life support, basically. Okay. And she just kind of fizzled through me in this beautiful kind of luminescent way, and I, I felt all this joy. It was the strangest thing. And I said, Teal, is that you? And she said, hi, Mom, just like that. And I said, well, what are you doing? And she said, I'm trying to reconcile my heart and my soul. Don't rush me. Had she passed over at that point? No. So she she was able to somehow communicate with you in a coma-like state, right? Exactly. Exactly. But here's the most extraordinary thing. The day before, when, or two days before, when I had walked into her hotel, uh, her, her hospital room, and I had looked at her stretched out on the bed, and mind you, she was covered with every kind of apparatus known to man as they were trying to keep her alive, I was overcome with this deep sense that this was exactly the way things were meant to be, and that I had to become a better person, and I was going to lose her, and she was going to leave me this healing gift that I was going to bring to other people. My gosh. That was what really came to me the minute I saw her in the hospital room. And here she was chatting with me now, two days later. Four days later, I checked in with her again, and I said, well, have you made up your mind? And she said, oh, I'm going to cross over. <laughs> Just very matter-of-fact like that. And, and, and there was sort of no drama about it. There was no pathos. It was just, oh, I'm going to cross over. Shortly after that, I was sitting in her in her hospital room, and I was holding her hand. I was alone with her. And she's and unconscious, basically. She was right? still in a coma. She was unconscious. She was on life support. And I was holding her hand, and I felt this enormous rush of energy come through her body and into mine, and I felt oh, I don't know, I, I think I'd describe it as kind of an elation, a deep elation. I felt intense uh, perspective and wisdom and joy and energy come into my body. And I knew then that her soul had left her body. She was still alive. Her heart was still beating. Unbelievable. How can that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just telling you. But you're saying it did. And um, the most telling thing was that this self-involved woman, me, walked out of that hospital room um, to take a break shortly after that. And I was walking around San Francisco General Hospital, which serves the entire population, including the homeless and, you know, all sorts Everybody. of people. There emergency, were large... emergency room must be huge. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a great trauma center. It's the top trauma center in the West, and they have just a huge population of all kinds of different people, very diverse big immigrant families, med school students, homeless folks. I walked through the corridors, and I felt connected to every person there. It was like my heart just cracked open. And I was walking down this one corridor, and my intention was to call her friends and start to tell them what had happened. And I I walked by this homeless guy, and he was clearly a really disheveled man, and it was just clear to me he was a homeless guy. And I made eye contact with him, and I kept walking. I stopped not too far down the hallway, and I called her friend, uh, Nacho, and I told him what had happened. And when I hung up, the guy was looking at me, and I was looking at him, and I walked right up to him, and I said, my daughter's dying. And he said, I know, I know, I heard. I'm very, very sorry. 
And I felt his, his empathy, and I appreciated it. And he said, I've got a daughter. i got to go see her, right? I said, you do. You really, really do. And we just had this profound connection. Hmm. And I don't know, the whole thing was just sort of, it was extraordinarily life-changing. And that was the essence of Teal. When she, you know when she died, Pardon? when she died, did she continue to communicate with you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Through mediums or how, no, no. how did this happen? <laughs> I had the direct line, George. Um, That's always the best. <laughs> I think so. I was, in, um, I was in my car the first time it happened, maybe a few months after her death, and I was feeling um, very sad and grieving, and I had a little box of Kleenex next to me, and I found that driving was therapeutic. Well, all of a sudden, this big rush of kind of giddy energy rushed through me. And again, it was the same feeling I'd had in the hospital, and I said, Teal? And all of a sudden, this strange high-pitched laugh erupted out of my mouth. And it was, in fact, Teal, and she had things to say. She carried on this way for probably a year. She would visit me all the time. And I could speak to her directly and ask her questions. What do you think of this? Should I do that? And I was always saying to her, what's this healing work I'm supposed to do? I don't have any information. Help me figure this out. Now, is she coming to you in a dream state at at all? No, it was, well, both, yes. I would have dreams about her where she would be, um, oh, I don't know, swimming with me and beaming radiant joy and love or, or, um, well, actually... There was one really, really amazing uh, dream where uh, I was, I, I, it was kind of more of a vision, you know. I was getting dressed. I was actually awake, and I was getting dressed, and I was grieving, and I was crying and looking at her picture. And all of a sudden, I heard her say, read your T-shirt. And I had this T-shirt in my hand that had kind of decorative writing mm-hmm. on it. And it was so hard to read, I'd never read it before. So I put it on the bed, and I looked at it, and it said, eternal love. Wow, she's communicating with her that way, trying to tell you how she feels about you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of her information, though, was also in that little notebook. And the little notebook, the one I had been so dismissive about, turned out to be this treasure trove of all kinds of cool little quotes that had a lot to do with taking care of yourself. Was it like a diary? It was, You know what it was? It was a torn, tattered, well, not too torn, but slightly beaten up, red spiral notebook, and it was just filled with all of these little messages she'd gotten in her meditation. Every time she had a thought, she put it in there. Well, in her meditation. In her meditation stage, yeah. And she would go in there with her problems and her questions, and it always boiled down to things like really tuning into your body and trusting yourself and, um, you know, taking it easy, and and, and quite a lot was actually about self-care. Now, did other people, Suzanne, know that you were communicating with her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how did they react to that? <laughs> well, I remember being in one particular restaurant with my son when the giddy teal laughter started. He said, tell her to keep it down. He knew it. So it was, so it was he, wasn't, he wasn't shocked that this was happening? Um, knowing teal, no, <laughs> because she was really a pretty otherworldly young woman. When you talked to her, did you, vo- did you vocalize it or did you talk to her in your head, basically? Uh, a little of both. If I was by myself, I would speak out loud to her, but okay. that was just a little too strange for most people. Yeah, you wouldn't be, like, on, walking right? down the sidewalk <laughs> talking to her. 
No. I saw somebody doing that one day and thought he was nuts and then realized he was had his cell phone uh, in his pocket with the wire on the side of his head. That's right. <laughs> so what what messages that well does she still communicate with you? She communicates mostly by uh, dreams and images, but I can feel her around me. I think the giddy laughter is uh, di- certainly diminished. Certainly diminished. You know. So it's been it's been eight years. It has been eight years, and um, you know, only now do I feel I integrated enough of this sort of beautiful healing energy to really go out and help people. You know, it's taken a long time for me yeah. to get over myself. What do you think the big message is that she wanted to convey to you? Well, she really wanted me to learn how to just be. And we had, you know, what does that even mean, George? Just be. It's like, what? Just be? But really, it's a profound thought, because what it is saying is, don't stress, don't worry, don't be in the past, don't be in the future. Just look around you, feel what's present, look at who you're with, listen to who you're with, don't be on your phone, you know, (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. that. And um, I can forget that. I can get carried away and, and caught up in, I've got to do this, I'm a master of overproduction and overdoing and striving and pushing and uh, so forth and so on, you know. But I think the message was almost on every page in the notebook was just be or be and you know, meaning get yourself centered and grounded in your strength and your presence, and then you can actually solve the problem. You'll know what to do next. You'll know how to proceed. Did she want you to help other people, women especially? Oh, I think so. I think that so. was the and, mission. And, you know, I'm really here to help everybody. It's like this is not a gender-specific message. Um, it's it's housed in a way that women in particular can hear it because women have had a rough time, you know. But we've all had a rough time, haven't we? And and I think and we're human. Well, we're human, and life does not give us an easy time. We have to have struggles. We have to have crises because the minute we do. We get to extract a little gold if we're paying attention. We learn by these things. Pardon me? We learn by these things. We learn by these. We certainly do. That that is the point. That is the point. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.